bringing it back to food brings it back to something we all have to do. And this sort of helps us link ourselves to our own humanity to others. Welcome to Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. This is Annalise Corbin, Chief Goddess of the Past Foundation and your host. We hear frequently that the global education system is broken. In fact, we spend billions of dollars trying to fix something that's actually not broken at all, but rather irrelevant. It's obsolete. A hundred years ago, it functioned fine. So let's talk about how we reimagine, rethink, and redesign our educational system. So in today's episode, we are going to talk about nutrition, healthy food, kids, families, and hopefully a love affair that can happen with learning how to eat, cook, and be in a happy and joyous space when it comes to food. Um, And we're going to be talking about a program called Cooking with Kids, um, which is a nationally recognized nonprofit organization based in northern New Mexico. Uh, Cooking with Kids was founded in 1995, and it educates and empowers children and families to make healthy food choices through hands-on learning with fresh, affordable food. So super excited about this particular conversation because um, for our listeners, PAST is involved heavily with all kinds of things that tied to agriculture, food, um, food insecurities. And so we're super excited about that. And joining us today uh, for the conversation is Rachel Shreve, who has been part of Cooking with Kids since 2006, first as an educator and most recently as the communications director. She has a passion for cooking and a love of education and years of teaching hands-on cooking classes with elementary age students, which laid a direct foundation for her current work. So Rachel, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So let's start with just sort of that 100,000 foot view first and (laughs) foremost. I gave a little bit of introduction about cooking with kids, but maybe share with our listeners who come from all over the world about sort of the why, the need for this organization and why in Northern New Mexico in particular. You know, Cooking with Kids exists because there's a disparity, especially in Northern New Mexico, of food access. There's a disconnect with food. Kids all mm-hmm. over the United States and in the, around the world have a disconnect, a growing disconnect with food about where their food comes from. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really challenging, especially for families who are dealing with lower incomes to risk trying new foods. They can't mm-hmm. afford that risk. You can't afford right. to spend you know, valuable money that you uh, on foods that kids may refuse to eat. And it actually takes quite a few times for kids to be offered a new food Mm -hmm. for them to accept that food. Mm -hmm. So cooking with kids exists to help speed up that process. There's also a lot of research behind using hands-on experience with food that helps kids accept that food when they've helped make it, when they've helped wash it, cut it Mm -hmm. up, cook it. That actually counts as a couple of experiences. And so it speeds up the process of them being willing to accept that food. So we, we support those families' efforts to make healthy, you know, to develop healthy eating habits at home. Yeah. You know, that's really intriguing because I've had numerous conversations as it relates to um, to food and food insecurities and how we work and get really, really creative with kiddos in that space. And I, and I think that you're one of the first people that has actually pointed out the economic cost or, or um, you know, sort of... Um, 
you know, the components that might hinder that sort of next piece. We, we always talk about an educational standpoint, right? That it's easier to get into a habit of unhealthy food because it's available, it's there, I can use my, my, my WIC or food stamps if, I, if that's necessary for me, you know, all of these sort of host of things. But I don't think I've ever heard anybody clearly articulate, um, you know, I think we intuitively know that that's the case, but there's a, there's a cost and risk associated with introducing something new to a family that might not be able to afford that. So I want to first and foremost say thank you so much for putting that out there because I think it's a critically important piece of the conversation. And then the second thing I love about this is that recognition that by by engaging the kids themselves, right, in that hands-on experience around their food, that it has the potential to be a driver that can can create change. Uh, so that's super, super um, in, intriguing to me. And I guess, you know, the other thing that I want to sort of ask about, because I know that you have several different project components about the way you're tackling this, and we'll sort of dig in a little bit with each of them. So, but you know, you were talking about families, so let's just dive in right there. Because, you know, there are a whole host of barriers as it relates to how families get into the sort of the food cycles that they're in. So are you seeing trends in the northern New Mexico um, region, which I do think translates to lots of other places around the world, that relates to, based on the trends that you see is the way that you think about or articulate the programs that you design and develop um, within the programming? Well, you know, New Mexico is currently ranked 49th in the state or in the nation for child well-being, mm-hmm. um, which they, you know, that's from the Annie Casey Foundation and that they track a variety of factors, which include health, education, uh, family income, and, and you know, 30% of third graders, and this is actually from the New Mexico Department of Health, uh, mm-hmm. 30% of third graders are overweight or obese in wow. New Mexico. Wow. Um, and and 30% are actually live in homes that are below the poverty line that are you know without income to you know to provide adequate food mm-hmm. um and so that those are we work with a lot of families our program actually prioritizes schools that um have a certain percentage at least 50% or more of students who qualify for free or reduced mm-hmm. price school meals mm-hmm. so we know that we're working with the families that would qualify for snap benefits and um, would be directly impacted by by the challenges that families face when trying to choose healthier options. Mm-hmm. And and the program works directly with these schools and school districts, and you work directly with families. And there's a variety of different ways that you've crafted the programming. So I'd like to talk just a little bit about sort of the ways you're approaching this, because. One of the other things that we know, um, you know, in our work is that not only do you have to have multiple exposure opportunities, A, to get a child to, to try new foods, but anything, quite frankly, it's not just about foods, those multiple sort of touch points. But we also know that there has to be multiple sort of opportunities for the child's environment and ecosystem as a whole to also have that same experience, which is one of the things that I like about the fact that you have a hands-on cooking class. You do, you know, some virtual components. Um, You do these live online family components, um, as well as work directly with the schools. So let's talk about the hands-on cooking class first and and sort of where and how do you uh, sort of structure that. Um, You know, and and at the end of the day, one of the things this program is really mindful of is the fact that folks will hear these conversations 
and they'll sort of think to themselves, well, I really love what I just heard Rachel talking about. How could I do something like that in my community? Or could I get access to what this existing program is doing in another place and bring it into my community? And so, you know, as we're sort of thinking about that hands-on cooking class, because, you know, cooking classes or home ec, if you will, to use a really, really old school term, right? Um, but, but thinking about things that people are familiar with have been in and around the ecosystems of schools for a really, really long time. So what makes cooking with kids and the way that you're running this program different or unique? One of the ways uh, right off the bat is that Cooking with Kids is super embedded in our schools. Mm-hmm. Um, we are a nonprofit, but we've partnered with schools. We have you know, really wonderful relationships with Santa Fe Public Schools and um, Española Public Schools, mm-hmm. which are, they work in two school districts. And, um, and over the years, you know, when I started as a food edu- as an educator, um, I was on a cart. You know, there's a lot yeah. you can do on a cart with a hot plate and an electric yep. skillet and a griddle, and you wheel your cart in and you clean all the glitter glue off of the, the tables uh, in the classroom, <laughs> and um, and you can set up a wash station, and it's really it's really quite amazing how you can transform a space. Mm-hmm. But over the years, schools have acknowledged. The, the extreme value that cooking with kids brings mm-hmm. to their communities. And, and as remodels have been, you know, take it, have taken place over mm-hmm. time, they've actually allotted a space for us. So either a flex lab, um, a, an actual culinary kitchen, mm-hmm. um, most of, I would say actually all of our schools at this point have a space that's designated wow. for cooking with kids, which is really kind of monumental. It, it um, is. Absolutely. I mean, I just can't underscore that enough. That is absolutely remarkable. So school district yeah. has said there's so much value, not just in this program, but in this nonprofit pr- partner who's providing this programming that we right. are going to actually solve the space issue tied to doing this effectively. That is truly amazing. So much so that sometimes families don't realize, that, I mean, they think we're part of the school. Right. Um, and and that's that's great in some mm-hmm. ways, and it's not so great in other ways for right. our fundraising. Um, just the visibility. They're like, oh, you're a school program. You get funding from, yeah. they, there's an assumption about where we get our funding right. from. Yeah, and I think that's pretty typical of programs too that are successful as they embed, um, you know, inside the school with the work that they're doing. So, um, and I know that like most programs around around the world, the program was impacted um, obviously by the pandemic and the things that you were able to do. But now um, that you are back in the schools um, and you're 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 doing your sort of piece, I'm super curious as I think most folks are. You know, there's a lot of conversation during the pandemic about the difficulty of virtual instruction, about the the the, the engagement issues, especially with elementary kiddos. I'm super curious about how how you managed to keep the work that you were doing even through that time period alive to the point that when your kiddos come back and you're with them in the school right now, um, you know, what 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 did you see in terms of what was going on for kids during that 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 time? We definitely had some challenges. I mean, hands-on is written right into our mission. Yep. So that made it really challenging to say, oh, we're going all virtual. And, you know, we work with pre-kinder all the way through sixth grade students. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and more recently have started a, um, we had just started a pilot for a middle school food lab, which we we discontinued during the virtual mm-hmm. year because we just didn't have the footing yet to yeah. establish that. Um, but, you know, you can't, one, because of reasons of access, you don't know what kids have at home. Mm-hmm. You can't just go, okay, everybody go get an apple. Right. We can't make those kind of assumptions about what kind of food kids have. Um, and also just reasons of safety. We're not yeah. going to, you know, yeah. kids can't cook on their own. Yeah, That's absolutely. Not a thing you could do. So um, we have an amazing program director with a, with a deep 
very rich background in, mm-hmm. in education and she's a teacher of teachers. And, um, and she developed these amazing, uh, food literacy classes that okay. we um, talked that we would do about, you know, who grows our food? Is that a farmer? And talking about who do you think, you know, we show a variety of pictures of people that we knew were farmers mm-hmm. and say, which one of these do you think are farmers? Turns out they're all farmers. And we were able to talk about, you know, stereotypes mm-hmm. around who does certain kinds of work. Um, and then also different kinds of food. We talked about soups and stews and herbs and spices and different things in the stories about, you know, the history of spices. And then those were supplemented with what we, we started right, um, at the beginning, you know, right in April of 2020 of these live online family Mm -hmm. cooking nights, um, which were really incredible because right off the bat, our kids already knew their, they they knew their school educator. And then they they were able to come together on a a Google meet that, Mm -hmm. or it was usually a Google meet that schools would host. And, um, we would just cook together. So um, at the beginning, we didn't quite have a plan for how to get food to, to our families, but we, we worked with schools and were able to, uh, we found funding to provide ingredient kits that oh, people bad. could mm-hmm. swing by and pick up curbside mm-hmm. cooking kits. Um, and then they would all sign on and you'd hear, you'd hear little voices pipe up, go, Chef Mariella, what am I supposed to do with the cheese? And, and <laughs> like, which side of the grater am I supposed to use? And um, it was just really lovely. And it was a, it was a direct way for mm-hmm. you know, grownups and kids to, to work in their own kitchen and say, well, you know what? I can do this in my own kitchen. You know, mm-hmm. if I don't have, you don't have a juicer, you know, you can, you can ream a lime with a fork. Right. I mean, there are right. lots of options for how to, how to make this work. You know, a lot of times families, when we are in the cooking classes in the schools, they'll say, well, I don't have this equipment or that. And we were able to have those conversations about there's a lot of ways you can do this and you don't have to have fancy equipment to cook. Yeah, that's really fabulous way to engage those families. And I would also assume that during the pandemic, as families were all struggling, right, trying to balance you know, work um, for those that were still able to do that or or not and work from home or not, you know, as we know, there's a lot of variability sort of in that sort of ecosystem. And so for the, you know, the parents and the students in the school to be able to say, we're going to have this collaborative time, um, very dedicated collaborative time. I think that was really a spectacular way to go. I'm super curious. So how well prescribed was it? I mean, did you get, was, I, I'm, I'm really curious about, you know, in a traditional sort of uh, sort of expectation, you know, the number of families that you would have participate in events, say pre-COVID versus how many showed up in that virtual environment. Was it more? Was it the same? Was it fewer? How did, what did you find? It was really dependent um, a lot on how the schools were able to advertise mm-hmm. and let families know. We're limited in our ability to reach directly out to families. Um, right. We don't have access to email addresses right. and all of that. And so we are very tied to how the schools publicize our events. Um, but, you know, occasionally we'd have five or six families, but on average it was 20 and we've even had upwards of 50 families sign on. That's really spectacular. Congratulations. Good for you because that, that is true, true engagement. So that's, that's amazing. And, and in the past pre-pandemic, you know, a lot of schools would ask for family nights and, and we would drag our feet a little bit because they're quite a production. Um, you know, trying to find the, the, you know, the quantity of food to be able to, to have, even 10 families participate or mm-hmm. the space for them mm-hmm. to all right, gather right. and cook and we feel safe. Mm-hmm. But 
So we could actually host more families and impact more families this way, which is why we decided to continue doing family nights this way, even after kids return to in-person school. Yeah, I was going to ask that question and that was going to be my guess that it was so successful and it gave you that sort of ease opportunity um, because you're correct, you know, cooking requires, uh, you know, space, especially when you do those sort of family sort of, you know, full on, you know, at the school or at a community center. Um, so I could see how this would have great opportunity for you. Just just the time it takes for everybody to wash their hands before yeah. you start. I yeah, mean, exactly. it's- <laughs> <laughs> so you could set up, you know, some, some prerequisites. Here's all the stuff. Here's your list of ingredients or here's your ingredient kit that you picked up. And this is what we're going to do. Um, I just really, really love that. I think that's that's fabulous. And it sounds like you made some pretty amazing um, things um, with it too when I was reading through the materials that your staff sent over. Share with us a little bit about, you know, one of the other projects that you're working on that is, you know, uh, you know Cooking with Kids, the Big Little Project. And so share with us just a little bit about that because that's, again, you know, sort of another approach that you're taking as it relates to food. This is a really fun project. We've been so excited about it. It's taken off um, in the last year or so. We have a collaboration that we're doing with uh, a local photographer, mm-hmm. uh, Gabriella Marks, and um, a creative director that they're both volunteering their time, uh, Robert Nachman. And uh, we have an existing super chef program mm-hmm. that um, actually our current executive director started more than 10 years ago because Santa Fe has such a rich it's culinary. Amazing. Anybody who's uh, not been there, it's, it's a place to go, right? It, it is a it food is a extravaganza. Yeah, it really is. Uh-huh. And, and we, you know, to, to connect, to connect those chefs with the schools and it's, it's, um, been a really wonderful and inspiring program. Uh, chefs volunteer in our classes. They don't lead the classes. They're kind of like superstars mm-hmm. when they come in. Um, a lot of times the first question is, are you on TV? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and we, but the other thing that these chefs do for us is they provide some really amazing visibility for us in the community. And they're really ambassadors for cooking mm-hmm. um, and that everyone, you know, that they, they elevate the level of cooking to this this amazing culinary level, but also that, that it's just inspiring that their love of food is contagious. Mm -hmm. And so, and kids are really, really jazzed to see them when they come in with their whites. And, um, and so we wanted to translate that excitement that we experience in the classroom into a kind of outreach that, that could extend beyond and actually, um, encourage, it's kind of like a PSA, Mm -hmm. you know, cook with your kids. It's, it's worth it. Um, and so the first installation of this is, uh, the big chef, big chef, little chef. Mm -hmm. So we have chefs that, um, they either their, their children, their grandchildren, niece or nephew, a close, you know, someone that they're very close with, uh, in the studio, maybe they have a giant whisk and a little whisk. Um, you know, we had, and, and they dress them similarly. So the, the first chef that we had was actually um, his original idea. He's from Italy. His name is Christian Pontigia has tattoos all up his arms. Mm -hmm. And he has a little boy who I think was four at the time. Mm -hmm. And they got little tattoo, um, the little sleeves sleeves, and, um, and they, they had pasta dough and they're playing with it. It just really captures this playful element mm-hmm. that, that can happen in the kitchen when kids are invited in and they only get invited in when grownups do that. 
Yeah. You know, so, um, and, and it's really, it's really tempting to shoot kids out of the kitchen and we totally get that. It's not, we're not, and, and also it's not saying cook every day with your kids. You know, there are times when, when you just can't, you just need to get dinner on the table. Um, but it really is a valuable thing to invite them in, to let them do a little, you know, to let them help, Mm -hmm. to let the mess be a little bit more this time, help have them help clean up. It's, it's so valuable. It's something that they'll carry with them throughout their life. We need these life skills. This is how we take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. It's 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 fabulous. And I I think it'd be so much fun to be able to see these chefs and these 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 little ones working side by side to do a lesson together. That's really spectacular and a great way to do that because you know, one of the things that's so key here, in addition to, you know, trying to make that shift around um, understanding and wanting and craving, you know, healthy food uh, alternatives is also then making sure that these kiddos see the breadth and depth of opportunity from a career standpoint, right? And you can't do that if you can't find somebody that looks or feels like me, right? We know that from just a basic identity sort of standpoint. So I love the way you're you're thinking about and crafting these experiences and tapping into a wide array of the, quite frankly, the, the very rich history and cultural diversity that is part of um, Northern New Mexico. So, uh, so I love that aspect of it as well. You mentioned earlier about that middle school food lab that you had to put sort of on hold during the pandemic, which totally makes sense. So I'm curious, though, that now that things um, are shifting back um, to more of an in-person opportunity, is that a program that you're picking back up? Um, is it on hold? What's happening with that? We, we actually piloted our first couple of classes in March of 2020. Um, we got a grant through the Los Alamos National Laboratory Foundation to um, create and pilot these middle school food lab classes. And we started with the first one was a, the science of taste, flavor, and aroma. So it was a really interesting, um, different things that kids got to do. You know, um, I, I helped with this one. It was so, I mean, I was in the back putting blue food coloring into different types of juices because Mm -hmm. like interesting, um, the discovery for kids of how our different senses inform our tastes, right, our right. sense of smell. So if, if all of the juices are blue, how much of your sense of sight is telling you what, what kind of juice this mm-hmm. is, or, mm-hmm. you know, like I had, I think we had orange juice, peach and apple, and it's, it's very challenging. Sometimes they it could, is, they yeah. could immediately go, Oh, I know what this one is, but then they were a little off, you know? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. um, just, just kind of what happens when you take away one of your senses and how do the other ones function? Yeah. And um, so... Perfect STEM activity. Yeah. Fabulous. Yeah. Wonderful. So we, were able, we were able to actually resume those classes um, this fall. And we actually, we work with several K through eight schools. Mm-hmm. So because we were already in those schools, it was just a natural partnership to extend into those uh, upper grade levels. And mm-hmm. the kids have already had cooking with kids the, you know, Mm-hmm. the standard basic program. And so this, this incorporates, uh, cooking, but also, um, STEM elements. One of the, one of the most recent ones was the States of matter. And they made a fall harvest salad, like mm-hmm. we've done with our, on our online cooking classes with families. And so they might be familiar with that, but they talked about what happens when you toast bread and how does mm-hmm. that, you know, is that a chemical change? And then we made hard boiled eggs. So the different, like what happens right. when you hard boil an egg and that's a chemical change versus when you tear up lettuce and that's a, that's a physical change. And, um, and then getting into the making salad dressings and the difference between, you know, oil and vinegar and how they don't, 
they don't want to bind together right, and what's right. an emulsifier and mm-hmm. you know I love that yeah then the, the the wonderful mm-hmm. nerdy things that we all love about food those of us that are in the program and and can't always get into that with second graders and right, so it's, right. you know, it's really it's really fun so it's uh, great and i love the fact that um you've partnered with the los alamos national lab for this um, our listeners come all from all over the world so a bit of context within um, the U.S., um, we have these whole set of national labs. Um, the number changes from time to time over the year. I want to say there's 12 of them currently, and I don't quote me that, folks, if I have that wrong. Um, but these national labs are these, you know, the, these regional, um, you know, they're they're super science think tanks, and they all have a slightly different purpose and specialty and all that sort of stuff. And so the Los Alamos lab actually is, is pretty un- unique across that particular ecosystem. And so you know, I'm super curious about that connection. I mean, obviously funding the work, but I guess my hope would be that they are actually playing some type of role with you in terms of thinking about the science that could be made available through the study of food and utilizing food with that and that partnership around sort of STEM and STEM careers. Um, so is, is that the case or is it just a funding partner? They have actually consulted with us as we've been developing this curriculum. And we actually have one of our board members, Alan Jones, has been consulting with us as well, especially on the science of taste and flavor and Mm -hmm. aroma of how our brains work when we are tasting um, and smelling and all of those things, how our senses, um, what happens in our brain when we use our senses. And so we've had some really spectacular partners to help us develop this curriculum. Yeah. And that's really, really fabulous. Um, And I mean, like I said, just being able to go in and tap into those types of sciences that you might not normally pair back up or folks might not think to pair up, um, you know, in this case with food, but that that, that partnership um, leads to a whole host of activities and possibilities and areas of exploration that are completely meaningful for the middle school age. So I think that's fabulous. One of the exciting things is that in doing these classes, we were actually approached by the math teacher in one of our schools who requested, could you do something with math? Could you do some mathematics? Absolutely. (laughs) You know, and um, so I think those kids, they made breadsticks. So we talked up and they did a measuring of like dry measure and Mm -hmm. um, how measuring tools matter. Like the ones, what you pick, what you use really matters. Um, And uh, they did some, some different experiments with the measuring tools and then made made the bread dough and all the fractions that happen with mm-hmm. with um, dividing the dough so you can get some exact, you know, exact identical breadsticks. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, but then it's fun because they get to eat what they've what they've just done. You know, yeah. that's the, and then it's like, and also that that experience of they they did math, they did science, mm-hmm. and then they get to it, it then they get to eat and enjoy that. It's almost it almost kind of solidifies that learning in some way in their bodies. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I love that. Um, So one of the last um, programs that I wanted to talk about that you're currently working on is this alignment with social justice standards. And so sort of share with us, that's sort of top of mind and and, and front of mind uh, globally for lots and lots of folks. So so share with us just a little bit about what that means um, from your perspective and how it ties from a programmatic element, but more importantly, sort of that end result or impact that this type of alignment, this purposeful thinking, right, matters as it relates to kids? One of, one of the things that makes cooking with kids 
a valuable program for schools is that we work hard to to be up to date with standards Mm -hmm. um, in general. So we are aligned with English language arts, um, uh, literacy language arts standards, math, um, uh, next generation science standards. Mm -hmm. Actually, that was a a recent addition. And then most recently is this alignment with the Southern um, social justice standards through the Southern Poverty Law Center. Mm -hmm. Um, In a lot of ways, our programs are actually the things that we do are naturally aligned with many of these standards. And so it was just a, a, um, conscious, um, merging of those two, a conscious alignment of saying when, when kids are learning about food from another place in the world. So right Mm -hmm. now we're making Cuban beans and rice. Mm -hmm. Um, and very soon we're moving into, um, we'll be making a French dish, um, called potatoes per salad. When they're learning about foods, they may be familiar with the food, but they may not be familiar with the way that that's made. And mm-hmm. so it's, it's helping them make a connection between what they eat, what they, what's familiar to them and something that may not be so familiar. And, um, and to be able to approach it in a way that's respectful and curious. Mm-hmm. Um, and that can translate into approaching new cultures, approaching mm-hmm. new people, approaching new ideas with respect and curiosity. Yeah. Um, and, and most recently has come up this, uh, in, in this new, uh, unit, we, we have maps and different activities and, the, and Russia is on the map. And mm-hmm. we've been hearing some in, in, you know, classes, mm-hmm. you hear that yeah. kids are trying things on for size, um, talking about what's going on in the world because they're hearing their parents mm-hmm. and other grownups talk about that. And, and you know, we may not directly bring it up, and let, but if but if it comes up in a class, it's it's a perfect place to talk about that mm-hmm. in a mm-hmm. safe environment to talk about. Um, you know, there are people all over the world, and and the decisions that get made, you know, at the political level, yeah. are not always the same as how people experience life day in and day out. And we can't make a can't make an assumption about a group of people because of of a certain you know something you're hearing in the news, right? right. And that's you know. Bringing it back to food brings it back to something we all have to do. And this it helps us link ourselves to our own humanity to others. Yeah. And that's a very, uh, you know, a powerful lesson uh, for students. And I love the fact that you've made it so culturally immersive. So that's that's really, really exciting. So, um, I, you know, I always like to close um, the program recognizing that folks are listening to this. And the hope is they get super excited about what they've heard um, in our conversation today. And so what what is the opportunity for access to the programming, the ideas, to the curriculum? Um, Just we will share resources, obviously, um, with a program. But, you know, as folks are sitting back and they've been listening to you and I have this conversation thinking, oh, my gosh, I can do some of these things um, and absolutely can in my own classroom or in my community. Um, if folks are are looking for uh, for assistance, what what would you recommend as somebody who wants to get started with a food program that is super immersive and hands on? One of the things we know is that cooking with kids is so successful because we are a local program that started mm-hmm. locally um, from a need that was identified in our community, and so um, what we what we intend to do is share our resources. We have mm-hmm. a lot of free resources. So one of the things we do that's very simple um, are tasting lessons. They're fruit and vegetable tasting lessons, hands on. Taste four different varieties of apples. Taste a variety of citrus fruits. Taste mm-hmm. a variety of uh, salad greens. And that's something that teachers um, can incorporate in their classroom 
with relative ease. And we do know that those are, those are accessed quite frequently. We have, um, we've actually had people from 48 states and around the world download our curriculum. That's fabulous. Um, you know, it's very yeah. exciting. And we know that we know that there's a demand for that. We also have cooking lessons that right now are um, um, a small fee paid for download. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're, we're looking for a way to uh, create a national curriculum outreach. We'd, we'd love to get a corporate sponsor at some mm-hmm. point that would provide um, so that we could provide all of our resources for free. Right now, it's um, it, it's a lot of time and effort yeah. and resources to create this curriculum, and um, we just really can't can't quite provide it for free as as much as we would love to. Um, and the point being that cooking with kids. We we will we are we were are committed to serving northern New Mexico and we would love at some point to also be able to provide training and resources, mm-hmm. um, you know, to to other communities who want to do this. And we do occasionally, you know, someone will call and we're, sure. we we love to you know we'll talk to you if, yeah. if that's the yeah. case. But we'd also love to to um, to support that more with um, the funding. We don't have as many resources mm-hmm. right now to provide that, and that's one thing we would love to do. Yeah. Um, so for the time being, you know, we have those free resources online and um, there's a lot of, there's some really great how-to videos to get, you know, get kids started in the kitchen. They're in English and Spanish, Fabulous, um, yeah. you know, slicing and mincing, using, you know, making a simple salad dressing, just some real simple ways for, for parents, uh, other family members, um, teachers, easy ways to get kids involved in making their own food. That's fabulous. Absolutely. So, um, you know, Rachel, I want to thank you very much both for the work that you were doing um, with Cooking with Kids. Um, what a fabulous organization, but also for making time to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for reaching out to us. This was a, this is a big deal for us. <laughs> good, good, we good. Are, we're, you know, in a lot of ways, we think of ourselves as a pretty small nonprofit, but, but we have, you know, we have big hopes for the future. And, you know, we just feel that Kids everywhere need and would benefit from positive experiences with healthy food. And that Absolutely. whether that happens in a home kitchen and a cooking classroom and, and that communities really need to rally around their kids that, you know, this, this is a very important piece of kids' education and um, for living healthy and thriving. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, good luck with the program. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for Learning Unboxed, a conversation about teaching, learning, and the future of work. I want to thank my guests and encourage you all to be part of the conversation. Meet me on social media at Annalise Corbin and join me next time as we stand up, step back, and lean in to reimagine education.